Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright and I'm here with Pastor Jim Minling. Great to be here. And we are really excited to be here to be recording our 50th episode of the Cutting Room Floor. I actually just told Pastor Jim that it was our 50th episode about 30 seconds ago. I was surprised. (laughs) I was very surprised. What's surprising to you about that? It's just gone so fast. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me, literally if you had asked me, so what number do you think this is? I would have said, oh, 25. Have we gotten to 30 yet? <laughs> no way we're over 30. Yeah. It's 50. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. And, and for you yes. know, we, we talk about this a lot, how yeah, much we enjoy we love it. these conversations. But um, what's been, I think for me at least, the most rewarding moments are chatting with some of you all who tune in and listen in or who are now starting to watch in and uh, just some of the ways that you guys uh, feel ministered to by these conversations, like you're able to kind of sit down with the two of us and, and chat. And that's a part of what we really hope that yeah. this is for you all is an opportunity to hear from us, but also to be a part of a conversation. Yeah, to dig in together. Exactly. Yeah. And so we we started the podcast actually uh, a little over a year ago with the Adventure of Trust excursion. And so uh, that's, wow. we, we had thought about it a lot, but I don't know if, do you want to share a little bit again, just about what, how did this, because it was your idea originally. I remember when I was getting hired on, we were talking about fun things <laughs> that we could do or things that would be really oh, yeah. exciting to do. And I do remember that. This, I, I just mentioned this and you lit up. Oh yeah. And you were like, can, can I be a part of that? Can I, can I be a part of that? And I'm like, <laughs> okay. It's been great. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, I actually have thought about this for years. Um, but it just, you know, the, the logistics of it. Mm. And honestly, this is not, a, and the whole logistics of it is not something I know a whole lot about. And you, you know a lot, but you've also helped other, get other people involved. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we've had other guys helping a lot. Neil Getz helped a lot. Yes. And now John Clouds is helping a lot. And uh, so Tim, is, Tim has helped a lot Tim with. Tim Gamble has helped a lot. Several things. Yeah, and... Thanks, guys. Shout out to all of you if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole little cutting room floor team That's out right. there. And yeah. uh, we, we don't do this alone. And, of course, you know we, we do it with the Lord's help as well. So we, we're praying every time we record that the Holy Spirit is using these conversations and guiding them. And he is. I keep getting stories from people about, oh, I loved this. This helped me so much. And mm. I feel like I'm a part, I'm in the room and things like that. So yes. it's pretty cool. And of course, what it is that we do in these conversations is uh, we're, we're just trying to go a little bit deeper into the text that we opened up on Sunday or into the sermon and the things that it brought up. Mm-hmm. Because we are suspicious that dialogue and that Scripture has such a depth to it, and as we dialogue about Scripture, we're as suspicious we, about that. We're we're excitedly suspicious. We're <laughs> expectant. I like that. Suspicious. We we believe that that the Holy Spirit is going to use that among other things to yes. make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, um, this is also what I love about life groups at our church is that. That is uh, a venue and it's an opportunity for us to start unpacking and digging into and asking questions about scripture Mm -hmm. and about the sermon. Um, And so this is, you know, in some ways, it's like uh, I I, I love having my life group conversations on Tuesdays and then we typically record on Wednesdays and get to 
you know, sometimes I'll bring questions that people brought to, to my attention and it's, it's well, been lots of fun. One of my secondary visions for this is to, is to birth uh, inquisitiveness mm-hmm. in people and more people. And I think sometimes when you see that modeled, I mean, for some people, this is crazy to say this, but they actually have been either brought up or modeled that you don't ask questions. Mm. I mean, you, you listen to what someone says and then that's just it. And questions aren't allowed. And I'm like, well, how do you learn anything if you yeah. don't ask questions? And I was raised just the opposite. You know, I was raised inquisitive and questions were encouraged. Yeah. And so if we can birth or develop or help people fall into the romance of inquisitiveness with the Bible, I would love that. I know you would too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and again, because I think there, there's so much, you know, questions are a way for us to explore. Yeah. And so whether that's asking deeper questions about the Bible, because when you, when you ask a question and then you're cooperating with the Holy Spirit, searching for an answer, mm-hmm. uh, it, you, you find that the answer becomes in some ways less important than what God is showing you along the way in the process. And that's, I know that's and what good, you get to experience every week as you're prepping to preach. I do. And, and good questions open up other questions, which mm-hmm. you know, they're all keys to unlock doors. And it becomes this treasure hunt yeah. every time you open the word. Exactly. Which is part of the romance of, of studying the scripture for me. Yes. And that's to do a little bit of a segue, you know, asking questions of the scriptures is a great way to explore the scriptures with the Holy spirit. And also, uh, asking questions of people, you know, and so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting to ask a question of you and that's building our relationship and our community. But when you're doing what we talked about this past Sunday, which is intentional evangelism, okay. yeah. you know, when we're in relationship with people and we want them to know Jesus, asking questions of those people mm-hmm. is a great yes. setup to begin <laughs> to, to share your faith with them as well and explore that person and get to know them and get to love them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so let me, let me set that up a little bit more this past week. You know, we were talking about the I and the Christ acronym as we're on this seven week excursion talking about and asking asking the question about what is our next step in becoming more like Jesus. And so as we open up the Christ acronym, we've talked about being connected to God through the word and prayer, having a heart of worship, relating with oh, others. So you know love. the Christ acronym. I've been, you know, I've heard about it at least once or twice. <laughs> and so... Uh, Points. <laughs> so now, now we're talking about intentional evangelism, which, you know, some people might not realize that... Uh, the Christ acronym also can be summarized as loving God, loving people and living surrendered. And so intentional evangelism is one of the ways that we live out loving people yes, and exploring people. Exactly right. And so maybe that's a, a, a good way for us to start the conversation is how is it loving or why is it loving to evangelize? Mm. Be- because and the reason I think this is a relevant question is because um, Barna, the Barna Research Group, which is a massive research uh, arm, and you can look up these studies from Barna, they've reported that uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 50% of millennials who are Christians believe that it's actually wrong to evangelize. And I know you've been exposed to that statistic. So, yeah, it makes you wonder what's that person, what are those people's. Um, version or definition of evangelism. Yes, absolutely. If, if it's, you know, some kind of a, of a preaching that's in hellfire and damnation, if that's the way people used to describe it, you know, mm-hmm. browbeating. Yeah. Or if it's some sort of manipulative sales job that or some guilt in, you know, producing, um, you know, conversation where you guilt somebody. If, if, if any of those things, which 
are sometimes the way evangelism is portrayed. Mm -hmm. That those are not necessarily caricatures. Right. People actually do evangelism that way. So it's our fault. Yeah. You know, if somebody, you know, uh, falls into some sort of a YouTube video where this preacher is preaching hell, fire, and damnation, guilt trips, um, you know, just trying to guilt people into the kingdom. That's a person preaching. Oh, I hate to say this, the gospel, but it's not the gospel. Mm. That's a person preaching. They don't know the difference between that and something they hear you say. Right. I mean, that's that's what preaching is. That's what evangelism is. And so they they understand it to be that way. And so they're like, yeah, I don't want to, that. That's intolerant. It's unloving. I don't have anything to do with that. So I'm, I'm sure a part of that is just poor practice on our part as the church of what Jesus style evangelism is. Because mm. I'm I'm convinced if they could catch a vision of Jesus's loving relational view, his relational evangelism. I mean, they, they may not agree with what Jesus says, but I don't think that they would be nearly as antagonistic and certainly not saying, you know, that's somehow wrong. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to agree, but um, <clears throat> so I think that speaks more to people's view of evangelism and therefore, you know, where did they get that from us? Yeah. And and I think there's it's it's interesting because there's such a wide spectrum when it comes to evangelism and thinking about it because way way on the on the on the one end we you've got exactly what you're talking about with you know you think about I remember when I was in grade school there's this skit called Letters from Hell and they would perform this skit for you know uh, children at a uh, you know middle school kind of age of a middle school young man writing a letter to his friends from hell and saying, you know, describing hell and talking about all these horrific things. All and these impressionable the, little kids. Yeah. And then at the end, they're oh like, goodness. so, you know, Do you remember as a kid, what you felt like when you heard that? Well, it's terrifying. Yeah. And it's, you get a pit in your stomach and then, you know, we would go to these conferences and they would do a skit like that. And then they would be like, and you, all your friends back home are destined for hell. And you, if so, everybody get out your cell phone and write down three people's names and you need to call them right now. And there's, there's some truth to that. Yeah, right. But and so yeah, it's, yeah. but it's, it's really, um, and that's, that's the hard How thing. Old were is, you when, the, when this was, you were getting this? Like, so I, so my older brother was the one who saw the skit. Okay. I was younger than he was. And I was maybe third grade, fourth grade. Okay. And he, so he was maybe seventh grade okay. type of age. Um, wow. Wow. So it's, yeah, or, or well-meaning people. Mm -hmm. um, or an, another thing I've heard about a lot is they'll set up these uh, walk through sort of like, it's like stations of the cross, but it's stations of hell. Yeah, I've heard about that. And then at the in the last room, they'll have it, you know, play nice music and <clears throat> set up a cross and present present mm. the gospel, um, and and provide an opportunity for people to trust in Jesus. And so that's like way on the one end, but then way on the other end, you've got um, you know, maybe people who aren't they don't mention the reality of sin. They don't mention the imminence of death. Well, I, I think you can even go farther than that in that spectrum. People who equate social act action as evangelism. Mm, yes. In, instead mm -hmm. of social action as a part of evangelism, social action is evangelism. I'm sharing the good news when I give you a cup of cold water. And, you know, they can look at scripture from that and, mm -hmm. and you just take that one verse, you know, 
Oh, that's what evangelism is. Yeah. No, it's a part of it. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm showing you the love. That's you know, First Thessalonians two eight. I'm showing you love of sharing life, but you know, that's not the the fullness of the gospel. Well, and also there, imagination. there's that famous uh, saying. Who you'll probably be able to tell me who said this, but uh, share the gospel at all times mm-hmm. and when necessary, use words. They say Francis of Assisi said that. Okay, um, uh, who knows. Well, and so like that, in that idea, and lots of people like that phrase, and it's a it's a good phrase. There's, you know? there's parts of it that I love. I think I even quoted that in my book. I think I think you do yeah, actually, and yeah. and so you know you can read that, and you the, the the element that we love about that is that in our actions we can demonstrate Christ likeness to people, and it can be unique, and it can be inviting. Yeah. But the if we take that to mean that there's there's no content to the gospel or that there's never a time to speak. Right. And so misunderstood. Yeah. We all fall. I think most people fall on one side of the spectrum or the other. And the way that you saw it modeled is going to impact kind of how you, how you respond to evangelism. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, (laughs) when I I grew up in a church uh, at this point, it was, it was a Baptist church or at this point in my life, we were going to a Baptist church as a family. And there was a movie going around in those days called Thief in the Night. And, oh, yeah. uh, and it, it was very much like the precursor to the whole Left Behind series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and the basic ju- you know, gist of the story is, is Jesus comes as a, in rapture um, and lifts, takes the church away and everybody there is left to die. And so there's somebody that's preaching the gospel and, and he's, you know, doing guilt tactics and, and, it's just, it's really meant to, uh, I mean, I'm sure that was meant to try to stir repentance. Mm-hmm. That was surely the intention, but it got manipulative and yeah. it was scaring people into heaven, or if you'll let me say this, scaring the hell out of people mm-hmm. uh, to get them to heaven, uh, which is a misunderstanding of, you know, the purpose of the gospel. It's not to get us out of hell. It's also not to get us into heaven. It's to get heaven into us. Yeah. And so, you know, it's the, the gospel has never been intended just to get us out of hell or to get us into heaven. Right. Uh, though that's real popular. But, you know, that movie went around and around, and I remember seeing it and just being terrified and thinking, you know, that's going to happen to me, all right? I, mm. I, I make sure it doesn't happen to me. Yeah. And when you start, you know, Christianity out of that place of fear and out of that place of manipulation— you, know, it, you you got a long hill to climb because you've got a, a caricature of God from the get-go. You know, God's this manipulative, guilt-producing, get you, you know, trick you into salvation, which that's not Jesus announcing the kingdom. Mm. Um, so I, I want to be careful because I, I do believe that people meant well, but that's not the way you want to start your walk with God is, yeah. you know, and I know there are some people who say, who cares how people get saved just that they get saved? Right. And, I actually think that God does care because if salvation is this fullness, this wholeness, this this shalom relationship with God where all of life is becoming whole versus it's just fire insurance. You know, those are two different visions. Mm-hmm. And the biblical vision of salvation is not fire insurance. So if that's what yours is, then yeah, then by you know, any tactic possible and you can quote all day long, First Corinthians, 5, you know, nine twenty three. By all means, you know, save some. That's yeah. not what Paul meant. Right. If that includes guilting people, no, that's not what he means. He just means I'm willing to, you know, to limit my freedoms. I'm willing to, 
adopt other practices. I'm willing to, to go to difficult places. I, I will do everything necessary to help bring them to Christ. He does not mean I'll be, you know, manipulative. Right. <laughs> and guilt, you know, in, inducing tactics. You know, that's yeah. not one of the means he means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, if, you know, based upon what, what kind of pictures you heard of evangelism, that's some of the things I heard growing up. And mm-hmm. so when I got to seminary and we actually started studying the gospel and uh, I was introduced to ways of introducing people to Jesus, you know, evangelism plans, yeah. then I had, uh, I had to come face to face. Okay. You know, I can talk about caricatures or I can talk about, you know, real ways to help someone come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was helpful to me to have that interface and to, to learn right. uh, what the gospel really was and, and what are some ways that I can help someone into life? Right. What are some ways I can introduce them to Jesus Christ? Yes. And that's because you, know, you, you defined evangelism sort of in this, we're talking about the spectrum. If you, you define evangelism in the middle as introducing people to Jesus, mm-hmm. the reality is that Jesus is, the reality of who Jesus is, is going to convict people. And yes. it is going to draw people. Mm-hmm. And it's going to do both yes. because that's, that's how the Holy Spirit works. The nature of truth. Yes. Yes. All that. And so when we... When we talk about how evangelism is introducing people to Jesus, and maybe even you could expand that to introducing people to the good news about Jesus, yes, yes. which is your shorthand for the gospel, right. the key issue there becomes what is the good news? Right. And so could, could you talk to us a little bit more? You, you spent some time talking about the gospel and some of the, you know, how there isn't a hundred percent, you know, if you put a hundred Christian pastors in a room, you know, and, and ask them all to write down a paragraph about what the gospel is. A lot of the similar themes would be there, but not, there's not like one yeah. pat answer for this because the gospel's complex. Um, so, so can you tell us a little bit more, what is uh, some of that, what, what's going on with that conversation about the gospel and how, how have you helpfully defined it? Uh, in yeah. The midst of all that. Well, um, I think some of the some of the conversation gets gets um comes from passages like First Corinthians fifteen when Paul makes it so clear this is the gospel right. or this is my gospel mm-hmm. and people are like look how can you get any clearer than that you know this is the gospel um, and so it's sometimes an ignorance of uh, other biblical passages it's like hey, there it is it's black and white we don't need anything else yeah. And of course, it's one of the most dangerous things is to know a little bit of Bible. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but you know that the the, the, mm. the Bible is not uh, some answer book that you know you just look up and uh, for the answer to this question. You know, the, the Bible is a story. You know, it's a it's a story. It's the story of God, and so you can't just treat it like an answer book. Mm-hmm. And so when people treat it like that and find, okay, there's the answer. I got the gospel then, you know, they're coming at it the wrong way and they're going to come out of it the wrong way as well. Yeah. And then I think also this comes from the ebb and flow of the theological world and theologians who have these arguments mm-hmm. about what is the gospel. Right. And so, um, you know, <laughs> there's this season in Christianity um, called The Search for Jesus. And it's, it came from a book by a guy named Albert Schweitzer in the, literally in the 1800s. Huh. And you're you're like people were asking the question that the search for Jesus, you know, the real Jesus back in the 1800s. You know, it's, it's been 1800 years since Jesus has preached and taught. Mm-hmm. But there's these 
cycles where people kind of are reawakened to Jesus's words, the gospel of the kingdom. Um, you know, wow, it's like I've never noticed that phrase. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Mm. Um, I remember, for instance, I remember uh, in my uh, uh, theological journey, I was a big St. Paul fan. So I was going to go to, to seminary to get a PhD and to, in order to do, to teach uh, in a seminary or a college. And my area of specialty was going to be Pauline, Pauline studies. And so I started acquiring all these books and becoming, you know, a little budding Pauline scholar and, you know, just was so hungry, so excited about Paul. And, uh, you know, that went on for years. And then, uh, then just out of nowhere, it seems I kind of rediscovered Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like I lost him, but I became, you know, re enamored, you might say with his words. And, and I began to notice, okay, Jesus talked about the gospel differently than Paul did. And there are books and lots of them that say, this it's this kind of thing, you know. They they're two different gospels, and you know I wrestled that for a while, but I was drawn into this conversation. Okay, well, how did Jesus describe the gospel? How did Paul describe the gospel? Are they at odds? Are they saying two different things? Is Paul trying to reinvent the gospel, mm-hmm. or are, are there two different ways of describing the same reality? Yeah, and you know I, that was a journey that I took in real time not to answer a question as much as it was that I was making these discoveries mm-hmm. and yeah. we found myself just, you know, fascinated by this. And cor- correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it, it is the perceived disagreement that Paul is getting more granular, more theological, and maybe in some sense more focused on, um, you know, the the propiti- like the Christ as a propitiation, Christ as atonement, yeah, and and the way that grace and love works and how our sins get forgiven, whereas sometimes Jesus is painted more as uh, an eschatological look at things. Because I've I've read a little bit, and there's this thing called the New Perspective on Paul. That my view is that the New Perspective is trying to take the traditional view of Paul and harmonize it to more of the sort of like Jewish sounding kingdom oriented, uh, like future end times oriented language of Jesus. When Mm -hmm. Jesus is talking about the kingdom, Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the new perspective on Paul is saying, well, maybe it's not so much about all the propitiatory atonement, bloody, bloody, you know, the blood of Jesus is, you know, uh, is covering our sins, that sort of thing. Maybe it's more about, you know, maybe Paul's language is actually more about, the kingdom and, and these sorts of things. Is it, is that the kind of tension that well, you're you've just said a lot about. of words? Um, I know. <laughs> so yes and no. Yeah. Um, especially you're the last part of, the, of something you said when you were first setting it up, you, you use the words grace, use the mm. word grace. Uh, that was actually one of the big things. How often does Jesus use the word grace? It, compared to how often Paul. For Paul, it is like the word. Right. And Jesus rarely uses it. So it's just as simply as sometimes people call Paul's gospel the gospel of grace, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and then they look for that language in Jesus, and they, they don't see it. Now, Jesus did use the word mercy, which is a, like a sister word of grace, but didn't use the word grace a lot. And so mm. simply from a word usage, word count, right. there became some discontinuity. Um, but also the language of kingdom, um, uh, the, the the language of disciples. You know, more than yeah. one person has pointed out that 
that Jesus called disciples, made disciples. The word disciple shows up all over the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you get to Paul's um, writings, and it hardly, if, if ever, shows. I don't think he even uses the word disciple. Luke does in Acts, but I don't think Paul ever uses it. Right. Yeah. He. Yeah. He used co-laborer. Or yeah. So he's like, oh my goodness. Words. So just from a what we call a semantic uh, standpoint, a language standpoint, there's there's different ways. So they they mm-hmm. begin to put these against. So you could say that the big difference is Paul was concerned with salvation from sin and the grace of God and what happened on the cross, maybe right. as kind of a summary. And Jesus is, I would even use more kingdom language than eschatology, because Paul talks about sure. the end times. Yeah, that's true. Um, Jesus was more like, you know, kingdom. How do I live in the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and how do we live in that? And, and you know, and who, and who am I? And of course, part of that was because... <laughs> All of that teaching is pre-cross, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so, while Jesus did say the Son of Man must die, will be, you know, uh, will be crucified, and three days rise again. That's it's very rare. He, he's mm-hmm. not the main point of his teaching at right, all. Right. And so, um, sometimes that that uh, oppos- that not opposition, but that those differences got described in those ways. Yeah. Um, the, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Paul preached the gospel of grace. Right. And, like that. and yet at the center of both of those kind of different uh, vantage points of looking at the gospel. I like that, that different vantage points of looking. That's right. really good. Yes. Because and I, we, we talked about this a little bit, maybe last week, if not the week before on the podcast, but when we're talking about the gospel and the good news of Jesus, I, it really is much more helpful. I, I believe to think of it as, looking at the beautiful truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us. Like a jewel. From different perspectives. Yes. And so you're spinning it in Facets. the light. Yes. So, you know, the, the different vantage points of, you know, it, it, let, let's let's say that Paul is more focused on the gospel of grace. Well, it's, it's the fact that God, even though he, there was nothing to, outside of himself to compel it to do it, out of the goodness of who he is, chose to offer his son to free us from the penalty of sin and death. Mm-hmm. And, but at the very center of that is his son, Jesus, who, who embodies that That's reality. Right. And then from the, from the other vantage point of the gospel of the kingdom, it's, well, who's the king who is to come? Yeah, it's, right. it's Jesus. He's, and he's, so, he's centering both. Exactly. And yeah. so it's all, that's why that summary phrase, the good news of, of Jesus or the good news about Jesus is helpful because Jesus is a beautiful, wonderful, and complex person <laughs> who did who, who accomplished a lot yeah. on the cross for yeah. us. And and one thing, because I remember doing a similar exercise during my education, where you had to define the gospel in in a paragraph. And what I found great, great exercise, by the way, it's it was so fun because yeah. I, I and if you've never tried this before, and you're you know a budding theologian, pause and maybe try this. Right. Just write down in a couple sentences what is what are the different facets of the gospel and what needs to be included. I did that in a sermon. I said, just stop. Answer the question. What is the yep. gospel? Yeah. And what what I found is, try as I might, I, like I would get to the end of that paragraph and I'd be like. Oh my gosh. I need to add something. I didn't use the word love. <laughs> How can you explain the gospel without using the word love? Right. Similarly, like if you look at first Corinthians 15, Paul doesn't use the word love there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use the word grace there. Mm-hmm. He, he's focusing on some of the more historical realities right. of the good news, which right. is still the gospel. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how can you fully unpack that without, you know, t- talking about sin, talking about love, talking about grace. And so yeah. can, can you, 
um, maybe unpack for us what are some of those irreducibly complex oh elements of the gospel? And obviously, there's it's multifaceted and all these sorts of things, but irreducible. Mm, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True, true. Um, you know, yeah, that's beyond beyond that you start you know saying, well, if I use if, if is grace irreducible, you know, that many people would say yes, that that's a part of the irreducible, that's mm-hmm. part of the foundation. You don't have the word grace in it, then you don't have the gospel. Okay? Then tell me how did Jesus preach the gospel because he that was not a part of his preaching. Right. He didn't preach grace, you yeah. know. Um, so, yeah. Um, and it's, it's on the other hand, if you say, well, let's take it from the st- standpoint of Jesus, Jesus's kingdom. Okay. We've expanded it one word. Hmm. Is that the word you want to use to describe the way Paul described the gospel? Um, nope. I don't think that's the word that you would want to use. So, I mean, you, you have to talk about Jesus, who he is. What he did uh, is is the way is the kind of the way I would irreduce it or re- reduce it. Yep. You 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 have to. You can't just say Jesus. You can't just say about Jesus specifically who Jesus is. And so I tried to paint that picture. Well, he's God. He's born of a virgin. He lived um, um, as a, you know fully human as well as being fully God. Uh, he lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. You know, so these are the. These are. This is who he did, who he who he was, what he did, and if you define biblically who Jesus was and what he did, now all you need to do is what does that mean? Right, and you got the gospel exactly. Yeah. So you know, yeah, those things. And the the cool thing about defining the that language biblically, you know, like un, beginning to unpack that a little bit is uh, when you when you start talking about the incarnation and why it was necessary you get to, you you can't talk about the necessity of the incarnation without talking about the reality of the brokenness of the world. Right. And, and in addition to that, in a lot of times in conversations, the brokenness that we see in the world will be the, the vantage point from which you're jumping into a conversation about the good news. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, sometimes the bad news is just a pre- prerequisite. Sometimes it's not, and you need to introduce that. But Yeah, you know, I mean, some people would say there cannot be any good news. Mm-hmm. Good news is, does not have any meaning unless we really um, unpack and magnify the bad news. Yeah. And... I mean, in a way, I can I can agree with that. You know, uh, you know, a person is not going to cry out to for salvation if they don't realize they're perishing. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, that's the role of preaching. That's one of the roles of preaching. Yeah, is to help people look through a biblical lens. This is the condition of humankind. Yep, they are lost. They need a savior because of their sin. That's yeah. one of the roles of preaching. Um. You know, sometimes people get confused about the the definitions of preaching. That it's just announcing the good news. Like the the, the technical definition for uh, preaching the gospel is actually announcing the gospel. Mm. And so they take that word announcing and they take all the explanatory aspects out of it. And I'm just announcing Jesus is King. You know, Jesus is Savior. Jesus died on the cross. Okay, I'm announcing. I'm announcing the good news. But, you know, it's much more than just announcing. It's it's also explaining, and it's also setting context, and it's also 
uh, helping people grasp, you know, what all that means. So, yeah. um, sometimes technical definitions get in the way mm-hmm. <laughs> of understanding. Yeah. And that's why I, 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 years ago, I remember a scholar helping me see definitions are important, but it's context that really defines what a word means. And up until then, I had been absolutely a dictionary man. I want to know what this is. I take the definition of this word plus the definition of this word plus the definition of that word. I put those together. Now I understand. No, it's, that's, that's not true. You, hmm. What's the context of this word? Yes, we, we want to know what the definition of it is, but we're also, if not more so, concerned of what's the context here and what's the context here right. and what's the context here. Now we want to pull back and, and now we can get some understanding. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be technical and pedantic. I'm just trying to be clear. And it's not as simple as just giving a simple definition. My favorite ex- example of this, you've heard me give this, is is when we're talking about the meanings of compound words. Yes. You know, so if you have the word butterfly, okay, what does the word butter mean? Mm-hmm. Let's get clear on that definition. Okay, what does the word fly mean? Let's clear. Okay, now the meaning comes when you put those two together. <laughs> Well, that's laughable, you know. Right. That's not what a butterfly is. Exactly. That's how you get puns, right? It's, it's playing on this idea that language is, it doesn't worth, work mathematically. Right. There there are systems in language, but mm. language is a vehicle for human expression, and humans are not just ones and zeros systems. You know, there's walking dictionaries. Exactly. And so we, you know, we we have fun with language and we bend language and we, we use language to try to express something that's true, something that's happened to me, something mm-hmm. that's real to me. Concepts, experiences. Exactly. Right. And, that, and that is, that's one of the reasons that makes evangelism so unique and so fun when you re- recognize uh, when, you, when, when you're working from a definition of the gospel, like we've talked about, because that last sort of irreducibly complex element that you shared is what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How has that impacted me? Mm-hmm. And so when you are sharing with someone the good news about Jesus, a lot of times that can take the form of, like you talked about in your sermon, sharing your story, mm-hmm. sharing this, this, I want to, I want to talk to you about what happened in my life and about this person that I met named Jesus. Uh, along those lines, the gospel must be relational. Mm-hmm. It, it can't be merely propositional. It, it can't merely be, again, the sum total of proposition of statements. Yeah. It, it, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ, right? So it's relational. It's, it starts out of love and right. it always has to move along relational lines. And so mm-hmm. even though preaching um, is sometimes described or seen as somebody just declaring propositional truths. I don't think effective preaching is. I think there's, there always has to be a relational component. But for sure, when it comes to just simple evangelism, it's got to be relational. Yeah. And this is what I see Jesus doing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was so relational. And um, well, 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 and as well, I've I've heard in in lots of classes and in lots of studies, they'll, they'll say that your people are much more likely to be introduced to Jesus by a family member or a close friend mm-hmm. or some, there's some sort of relationship, mm-hmm. a neighbor, a coach, right? as opposed to, and there, there are some people for sure. And we celebrate this when it happens who come to church, 
of their own <laughs> for just because they are they they just show up at church one day they hear the message of the gospel they're cut to the heart they're drawn by the holy spirit they come forward after the ser- sermon they're like i don't know what i'm doing here mm-hmm. i just i feel like i need to talk to somebody and so we talk we, like though and they they end up surrendering their life to the lord those are very exciting moments they're awesome moments but the major the vast majority of people come to christ through a, a relationship and of course that's <clears throat> That makes, as we've talked about, such a big difference um, in the sense that, you know, it's not it's not so much we're going door to door and trying to argue people into the gospel as much as it is in the relationships that God is bringing into our life. Or maybe we're intentionally trying to build relationships so that we can Mm -hmm. introduce people to what has happened in our own lives, which of course is how you get into the five B's. Yeah. Uh, And so I, cause that was another thing I wanted to ask you about is, do you want to talk any more about the five B's, which is, which is our, what is that? It's our evangelist. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Leaving me hanging. No, it's our, it's our evangelistic method at the church because we've, (laughs) we've recognized that so many people, or at least I, I'm thankful for the five B's because it helps us to, think about evangelism differently, or at least it's helped helped me to, where it's not about my ability to make a sales pitch. It's not about my ability to say all the right things. It's just me loving someone and it's coming out of my love for them. And I, I'm recognizing, uh, that this person needs Jesus. And so I want to be a loving friend to them and I want to be open and honest about how Jesus has changed my life. So in the course of building that relationship, the Holy Spirit will bring those opportunities, but yeah, and and same with me. I mean, I I developed the five Bs partially out of a reaction to what I the evangelism I had been taught, mm-hmm. uh, and out of that, kind of driven back to Jesus. This is what God keeps doing in my life; keeps taking me back to Jesus, and go back to the basics. And so. You know, I'm, I want to take a fresh look at what, how did Jesus actually spread the good news? What, yeah. what did he do? And yes, I know he preached, and that's there. There are crusades, and there are sermons, and there are churches that are preaching. But is that all there is? And uh, and so I just kind of rediscovered watching Jesus, and I I noticed him building relationships. So so you know, again, the, the five B's just came out of me watching Jesus, and so yeah. so let's just reiterate that. Um, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record some version of Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee or walking through, you know, the, the fields or the, the, the roads, the byways of Galilee. And um, he, he starts and starts teaching and preaching. And then he's, he starts these conversations with these, with these guys who would become disciples. And um, it's really easy for people to read the Gospels, and, he, and like, for instance, Mark 1, it's the very first chapter, mm-hmm. and it, it says Jesus went in preaching and teaching the kingdom, and then he saw Peter, who was casting a net into the, in the, into the lake because he was a fisherman, and he said to him, follow me. And, well, you're just reading along, and it looks all the world like this is the first time they met, and Jesus almost, you know, Peter's casting a net, and Jesus is casting a spell, <laughs> you know, <it> was, <laughs> You know, he says to Peter, follow me. And Peter just drops everything, you know, and that's what it says. He dropped the nets and immediately followed him. And you, you get the impression from that kind of a bare bones, naked reading that that's, that's the first time he heard it. And right. I, I believed that for years, Clay. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I didn't compare the other gospels. And then I come to Luke five and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Peter has heard Jesus teach and preach 
uh, several times. Then I get to John chapter 1, and I find out that Andrew, uh, when he met Jesus, the first thing he did was went and told his brother Peter, I mm-hmm. found the Messiah. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. There, there are some backstories in John 1 and Luke 5 that are happening before I get to Mark 1. Mm-hmm. So at, at least Andrew went to his brother and said, we found the Messiah, explained him. And at least Peter heard Jesus teach and preach several times. How many times? Mm-hmm. Three months, six months, 12 months? We have no idea. But for sure, it's not Peter sees a man he's never seen before, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus sees Peter, who he's never seen before, and says, follow me. And Peter drops everything and follows him. Mm-hmm. And so what has Jesus been doing? He's been building relationship. He's yeah. been having conversations with Peter. He's been preaching and teaching, and Peter's been there. And he's met, Andrew introduced Jesus to Peter and Peter to Jesus. So he's, they've met there. And so it's it's a very relational thing that's happening. And... um <laughs> Then when you get to the actual call, it's been building on the relationship. And even then, uh, Jesus is not, when he calls Peter, it's not a call to salvation. Right. He doesn't say, come believe in me. Uh, he, he does say, believe the good news to the people he's preaching. But to Peter, he says, follow me. And we can use that, that language for become a Christian, but that's not how Jesus used it. He just said, you know, follow me, pay attention to what I'm talking about, listen to me, hang out with me, spend time with me, learn my way. That's the, those are all the things that meant follow me. So, so Jesus has this relationship with Peter and Andrew and James and John. And so what does he do as he's building a relationship? He brings them along while he's preaching. He brings them along mm-hmm. while he's healing. He, he brings them along while he's teaching. And so they're there. You know, friends of Jesus, new friends, and they're hearing him preach and watching him heal. And they're like, man, there's more to this than just, you know, this guy talking. There's there's action here. Wow. You know, they're learning. And and it's very relational. So he builds relationship. He brings. And and honestly, the building relationship is not something that he only does a day or two or a week. He's building relationship all the way through. Right. Relationship is a process. Mm-hmm. And he brings them, you know, you could say for three years, he's bringing them along. <laughs> yeah. And for three years, he's building relationship. And for three years, the third thing we talk about with the bees, build, bring, belong, is that from the get-go, Jesus is surrounding them with accepting love. You know, I, I accept you for who you are. You don't have to behave. You don't have to believe the right stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to accept you. I'm going to hang out with you. I'm yeah. going to laugh with you. I'm going to do life together. You, you, I'm going to allow you to belong to my relational circle. And I think that blew them away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get to hang out with you. I don't, I don't understand. That's all right. Come on, hang out, follow me. Yeah, Let's be it's, together. It's interesting to me that powerful. The the gospels never record Jesus like setting ground rules for these 12 <laughs> guys. Like he's not like, all I right, like fellas. It's what you have to do. Yeah. And, and I, is it conceivable that Jesus talked to them about some of those sorts of things? I don't know, maybe, or that they had some shared values as, you know, Jews who were somewhat religious or that, that sort of thing. I, I don't know, but th- certainly it never, sh- it never emphasizes how Jesus sits them down and says, all right, if you're going to, if you're going to hang out with me, mm-hmm. I'm going to need you to stay away from this place <laughs> and you can't go around those people and you need, or, or, you know, we're not going to do this thing or it's, 
And, and neither does Jesus ever expel anyone for bad behavior out of the 12. It's, it's almost the opposite is that mm-hmm. they're expecting him not to go here and he goes there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they're expecting him not to, to, to talk to that person and he talks to them. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah. you know, you're doing the exact opposite of what we expected. Yeah. And, um, and I love how all along the way, Jesus is asking questions. I believe that Jesus was the master at using questions to build relationship. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why we talk about building relationship is not a stage. It's not only a, a one or two time thing. Right. Jesus is using questions. You can actually see a progression in the questions that he uses. Hmm. Like um, with the woman at the well, he says, can I have a drink of water? He doesn't say, uh, what do you believe about God? <laughs> he doesn't start off the conversation with you know, what do you believe about the Messiah? Well, they get yeah. to that, but he starts off with just a, a, a great question to build relation, to break ice. You know, can mm-hmm. I have a drink of water as you drink water? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I see questions like this all the time right. in, out of the mouth of Jesus. And I call these questions that establish, establish contact. Right. And I, I actually, I came up with these questions again, watching Jesus, but also for my own benefit. Because uh, I'm married to a, a woman who is such a natural relater. She's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. She's so good with people just naturally. And some people think I am too, but that's a learned um, behavior for right. me. Uh, people like you, because you're like my wife, Andrea, in this respect, you, you're just a natural. You're just so good at building relationships. It just flows. You're an extrovert. You you have great people skills that just come to you natural. I'm not saying you haven't learned anything. I'm just sure, saying sure. That, that you're you're way ahead of me naturally. So I've had to learn these things. And it may surprise people to hear, you know, I used to be terrified to the point where I couldn't speak and would not go into a room at the prospect of having to talk to someone. Hmm. That just sounds hilarious to some people. But I was the wallflower in school. I was the... Um, I love this 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 story. When my um, s- senior graduation, I went to an open house, and one of the girls there that I always thought was so cute, her name was Laura. Uh, we're at this open house, we're having this conversation, and and near the end of the conversation, she says to me, "Wow, you're not nearly as stuck up as I thought." <laughs> stuck up in my in my high school generation, when you know you're you think you're better than us, you know you're oh, wow. you're yeah. you're. Uh, um, you know, you know, you don't hang out with us because you're you're better than us. It's kind of stuck up. Did we still use that language? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what it means. And I was stunned so. by that. And I, I said, "No, Laura, I'm just terrified of girls." And she <laughs> laughed, and I was just being real. Yeah. So what she was referring to is that I, I would see her or her friends or other girls coming down the hallway, and I would go the other way mm-hmm. because she would say hi to me. And I was so intimidated by, well, I don't know what to say next. I'm going to say something stupid that I, I, and so I would avoid her, which looked to her like me being stuck up, which was actually fear and right. introversion and, you know, uh, insecurities and all that stuff. And we just had the best time, you know, and she said, well, I would, I would have really liked to have gone out together, you know, in high school, but I'm going to, you know, some other school. And I was like, oh man, I blew it. It was just a, you know, a, a, a an eye-opening experience yeah, yeah, yeah. for me because the first time anyone ever called me stuck up and I thought me mm-hmm. stuck up, you know, that's not me, but that's so how she saw me. So, you know, I had to learn how to talk to people. I had to learn how to carry a conversation. And Andrea, 
largely taught me how to do that by me watching her and living, you know, hanging out with her. And so, um, so the first stage I see Jesus doing is questions that establish contact. And these can be simple things like, can you have, can I have a drink of water? Hey, what do you think about the Browns? You know, what do you, you know, <laughs> something that's that everybody's talking about, yeah. you know, Hey, it's going to be, it's going to rain the next couple of days. You know, these are such shallow questions, but they yeah. establish contact. I, I was eating breakfast the other day out of town because I was performing a wedding and it, the wedding was later, but I had, I was in the night before because of the rehearsal. And so I was eating at a place called First Watch, oh, which is a chain. Yeah. Really, really down great. Down in Dayton? Uh, yeah. Down mm-hmm. in, yeah, down, down in that area. Yeah. And I, at this particular place they had bar seating at one of the tables where like you just come in and sit down if if there was an open seat and i was like oh you know i'm not really trying to wait for my own table so i anyway so i sat down and i'm for the first you know half hour that i'm sitting there i'm kind of focused on my own stuff and getting my notes ready but there's this a mom and a daughter sitting next to me a guy sitting across from me and then a couple to my left and another couple to my right so eventually i'm like all right come on now we can we can have some conversation (laughs) so i just said so what do you guys got going on the rest of the day? And that, that was a, just a question to establish contact. Yeah. I just, we, we, hey, what if we talked? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. What if we have a conversation? And and that came natural to you. Sure. Yeah. It, well, it, it, but it, it didn't at first because I was like, oh, man, do I really want to be that guy who's like, <laughs> you know, making all these conversations happen? But it, I'm so glad of that I did. Not everybody answered the question. But to me, that was that was kind of a mo- my most recent example of like, being around complete strangers, just asking a question to make a connection with somebody. Yeah. And uh, it ended up being a really, really awesome conversation. But, uh, well, and also the the beauty of these kind of shallow establishing contact mm -hmm. conversations is that it, it honors that person. Yes. Do, do they want to engage with you or not? And if they don't, then you honor them. You respect them. You, You may push one more time, but you know, if, if, if on the other hand, you see evangelism as, I've got to get them saved. I, you know, I've got to push through. I've got to, you know, I have to compel them to engage with me. I don't care whether they're interested or not. I'm going to mm. just kind of push my way. It's the pushy salesman that none of us like. Right. And that's not what we see Jesus ever doing. And and neither is it, like like you said, it's not our job to compel that person, right? It's the Holy Spirit that convicts and yeah. is working in their lives. And so it's, yeah, to me, the 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 recognition that the Holy Spirit is at work. Oh, huge. That I, I think everything all the time I talk about that is the pressure release valve Mm -hmm. for clay, right? Cause I don't, I'm not forced to manufacture something. Exactly. I can just trust the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. He's the great evangelist. Yes. Just cooperate with what he's doing. So, yeah, yeah. I I love that. That does take a lot of pressure off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by the way, after years of practicing this, it, it, it actually has become natural oftentimes for me to engage like this, which may not seem like a big deal to people now. Hey, Jim, you're a pastor. You're good at that. But that's ridiculously wild and, you know, uh, hard to believe if you knew me in high school Mm -hmm. or in college, because, you know, you knew, you saw how backward I was and you may have laughed at that guy because he's, he gets red in the face so fast and, you know, he stumbles over his words. So, you know, he, he's, you know, he's socially inept, you know, um, but after years and years of just loving people and mm-hmm. reaching out and, yeah. um, you know, I developed an ability. My wife and I were laughing one day. We came back from a party. She's the extrovert. I'm the introvert. That night I was so gregarious and 
quote, looking extroverted. And she and she was wrestling with some things, and she was really, really quiet. And we laughed about that. And I, she looked like the introvert. I looked like the extrovert. If you didn't know better, you'd be like, what just happened? You know. <laughs> and I'll never become an extrovert because right. extroversion is not about being gregarious. It's about where do you get your energy. Exactly, yes. Extroverts mm-hmm. get their energy from being with people. Introverts get their energy from being alone. So I'll never become an extrovert, but I have become extroverted and gregarious. Right. So that brings us to the next level of questions that you see Jesus asking. And that is, you know, again, something simple, but questions that expand the conversation. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked about water. We've talked about the Browns. We've talked about the weather. Well, let's just, you know, take it a little bit deeper, expand the conversation. And so it could be about the well, you know, in John 4, or, you know, it could be if it were about the Browns, it could be something else about the Browns or something else mm-hmm. about the weather. It could be the, the same topic, just to talk more about it. Or you could go to a different topic, but you're, it's, you're not making a big leap. You're just expanding that conversation and seeing where it goes. Yep. And for people who are highly relational, they, they find that as an adventure. You know, <laughs> let, let's, let's go down that. Let's, let's see what we can discover yeah. as we expand the conversation. Um, in my book, I talk about these four kinds of questions. We've talked about two. And over the years, I've got I've got another one that I kind of put in here between questions two and three. Okay, and it's the same pattern: establish contact. E C. Second one is expand the conversation. Mm-hmm. The third one is express care. Oh, so it okay. keeps that E C thing happening. Um, and and I I see Jesus doing this, and I also see uh, this as a great way to express love. Yeah. Um, and since Paul says in First Thessalonians 2, you know, we loved you so much, we were delighted to not only share the gospel, but to share our lives as well. Yeah. That's a relational thing. He's mm-hmm. being relational. And so yeah. it's hard for me to read, especially like First Thessalonians, where Paul uses all these relational figures of like a father, like a mother, like a babe, you know, not a babe like a girlfriend, like a babe like a... <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so it's natural to ask questions that express care. Right. And so there are, especially, and while you're building relationships with a neighbor yeah, or somebody else, just thinking. you know, there are, there can be wonder, wonderful opportunities that come up in a natural course of relationships. A kid gets sick. You know, how's your kid doing? Mm-hmm. Well, really? No one's ever you know, no neighbor has ever asked me how my kid is doing or, you know, your wife was sick. You know, is she getting better? That's a simple thing. Yeah, yeah. But there are some people that don't have anybody in their lives who cares about them. Hmm. And that question would seem so natural to you and I because we love each other and we love people. For them, it's like that that guy next door, he asked me how you were doing, honey. Who's ever asked that? I mean, all of a sudden mm-hmm. you are different. You care. And so, you, yeah, you do. So you... You ask questions that express care. Yeah. Um, and the, the next level is, and we're getting, you know, you might say deeper into the conversation, deeper right. into the relationship. And that's questions that it begin to explore convictions. Mm-hmm. And you can see the E pattern, EC pattern. So now we're exploring, well, you know, uh, and, and based upon the questions that establish contact and questions that expanded the conversation, if you're listening well, then you actually will might have um, given you might be given some um, opportunities to expand on that conversation by exploring convictions. Right, and of course these would be questions. Like Jesus says one time to a young man, "What do you think about that?" 
you know, but you, how do you read that is how that comes out in the Greek. How do you read that? Well, he's not just expanding conversation. He's asking him his opinion. What do you believe? What do you believe about that scripture? Yeah. And so we can explore convers, uh, convictions like, you know, what, you know, what do you believe about? Do you believe there's a God? You know, what, what do you believe about God? Mm-hmm. Um, now just think about that on the face. Can you imagine starting a conversation with somebody you've never met before with, with that question? What do you believe about God? It's like, you know, what kind of question is that? We've never met before. It just, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it comes out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and come on, if the Holy Spirit is leading you into that, then you can ask any question you right. know, that the Holy Spirit might give you. But as a natural relationship yes. you know, builder, that's a very invasive, out of the yeah. blue question. I, I find it personally a lot more impactful and and a lot more i i find that people receive better a question like hey i I notice uh you know you seem like you're in a little bit of a rush or you know something's going on in your life is there any way i can pray for you today Mm, i like that that asking is there anything or you know if 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 you're sitting down at a restaurant and the waitress comes over sometimes sometimes people will ask hey we're we're gonna we're about to pray for our food Mm. is there anything that we could talk to god about for you can can we pray for you where, where did you do you remember when you first heard that um i don't know if it was it might have been a man named Dwayne miller i i, I don't remember though I, Dwayne and i have certainly talked about it because he's done it before when i've gotten lunch with him i mentioned a guy named daryl farney uh, mm. and who was, used to be a pastor yeah, i remember church. you mentioning yeah that's one of daryl's like calling cards oh really and i've been with him many times anybody who knows daryl knows that he always always does that in a restaurant and mm-hmm. he does it so unoffensively so naturally so it's just like wow you're good i mean and he genuinely cares but <laughs> oh yeah and, and I'm, i'll sit there and, and go man if i had tried to do that it would have just come off like you know i'm i'm trying to i don't know it just it doesn't, it doesn't come as natural as it does for daryl yeah but another person who does this really well is andrea my wife mm-hmm. you know she she seems to just really be able to ask that question in a in a way that it just comes off so caring. Maybe I'm being overly self-critical, but I, I notice other people do it better. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, but but it's, it's, you're, even in that, though, sort of what's what's implicit there is you're exploring convictions about, you know, or, or you're, you're at least opening up an area of life and an area of living yeah. that is people have different convictions about. And, that you know, now... You, normally it's not a waiter or a waitress that you've met before. And so that's, that's just a, you know, if you're just a way to kind of open up a conversation. Um, most of the time it's not going to go anywhere, but sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, because the Holy Spirit's at work in that person's life, it can present a real opportunity to yeah. minister, which uh, can change the trajectory of someone's life. But, oh, man. but again, it's not about a sales pitch. Not, it's not about trying to force it on somebody. Just, and by the and because you 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 phrase it as a question, mm-hmm. there's it's not it's not a statement. It's it's not coming on strong. And they could say nope, and, you, and you're okay with that. So it's yep. it's uh, it's again it's honoring the relationship. It's honoring that person's yeah. uh, dignity, honoring their self will, honoring their space. You know, and this and I think that's important to do it because we we respect the dignity of a person, which is one of the reasons we ask questions. Yeah. Uh, instead of just live making statements, right? So we establish contact. We go a little deeper by ex, ex, uh, expanding the conversation. 
Um, we might ask questions that express care, especially if we've known that person for a couple of weeks or a month or mm-hmm. we, we're starting to develop a relationship. Uh, now we're going a little bit deeper by exploring convictions. And then the final stage is questions that extend a challenge. Yeah. And, you know, these are questions like, well, have, have you ever read the Bible? You, you know, that could be explore convictions, but then try reading that. You know, let, let's, let's talk about that. Or, you know, um, uh, would you like to come to church with me? I'm extending mm-hmm. a challenge. Would you like to read the Gospel of John together? Would you like to come to Life Group? Would you like to come over to our house for dinner? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, would you be Would you be willing to read this book if I gave it to you? You know, yeah. I'm extending a challenge to you, and and I'm doing that based upon the strength of the relationship and where the conversation's gone. Yeah, and. You know, I think on rare cases, you can move through all four of those levels of questions in an, a day or a week. But I think normally it can take weeks and months to go through those. And I think this is true for two reasons. Um, the, the receptivity of that person, the proximity and, and uh, the frequency of how often you see each other. You know, are they your next door neighbor? You see them all the time. Or are they a person that you only see once a month? Again, back to the receptivity. Are there, is there a person who's hungry and who's been looking? And then, of course, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Right. So all those factors are the things that play into whether you move through those four questions in a, in a day, an afternoon, a week, a month, a year. I, I know people that are just like hard shell people. And, and, and I was doing it's the first three kinds of questions for months and I'm like, this person is not open for me to extend any kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, I lived in the neighborhood. And so there was no, there was no rush. You know, I'm, I'm just loving them and just, you know, saying, are you open for this relationship? But so, so those kinds of questions yeah. are questions that I put labels to and language to because I see Jesus doing them. Um, and because I see people like you and Andrea although I didn't see you doing it then, but you know, I, you're the kind of person. Uh, and I learned from them, and I, I think I have helped some people who need that kind of structure. You know, I don't know what to go, where to go next. And uh, that's just a natural way of going deeper in the conversation and remembering that the Holy Spirit's leading. I can build relationships by asking questions. And then... Um, I also think a, w- a great way to build relationships is by serving people. Yeah. If you serve people and you ask questions, you're going to be able to build a relationship with just about anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first B. Then you bring them. We talked about that already. Um, and then we, t- you, we talked about helping them belong, you yep. know, just accepting them, getting them around other believers, um, just really helping them experience the belonging love of Jesus. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. It was in Jesus's day. It blew people's way. It, Jesus, the way Jesus loved, got people's attention, and I think it is today. And I think we have a great opportunity because because the church has such a bad rap, and because Christianity has such a bad rap. When we love people with the love of Jesus, it stands out. Yeah, and they're like, "Wait a minute! I had this whole Christian thing pegged. You're a bunch of judgmental, hypocritical, narrow-minded people." And then I met Clay. He's he's not like that at all. <laughs> Well, yeah, what's that, that causes, that raises questions, mm-hmm. you know, is clay the exception or maybe I've misjudged Christianity, Yeah, you know, and wow, I kind of yeah. like this clay guy and you go mm-hmm. home and you tell your wife and it's like, yeah, and his wife's joy, she's, she's easygoing too. 
next thing you know, you guys have a budding relationship and it's all because you've loved well. And what I found is, is that when you're genuinely curious about a person and when you, when you show genuine interest in a person, mm-hmm. it, it creates that kind of reaction mm-hmm. because so many people <laughs> are so unexplored, unnoticed. They don't have anyone who appreciates. And it feels the, good to be loved. Yes. It really does. Mm-hmm. It uses the word genuine. Yes. It feels good to be genuinely loved. Yep. Yeah. And, and sometimes just dignifying that person by noticing them mm-hmm. because they're especially people who work fast food or who work in like Walmart or something like that. They, they have so many surface level interactions <laughs> all the time. All the time. And so any way that you can just look them in the eye and say, it's like one thing I'll ask often is, Hey, what, what, what time is your shift over? And what, what are you going to do after that? I have to be kind of careful with yeah, that because like, a, like if it's a gal, what, what they call that? A, uh, <laughs> a pickup line. A pickup line. <laughs> so I have to be somewhat careful, but I'll be like, you know, I'll be like, oh, how, how is it going? And they'll be like, Oh man, I'm so tired. And I'll be like, okay, well, how, how long do you have left to go? And yeah. they'll be like, Oh, a couple hours. I'm like, see, you're, you're almost there. Yeah. You got this. Right. And just like that little, that guy cares about me. Yeah, sometimes that that small interaction or, uh, or whatever it would be, but yeah, I because of the way that the culture is toward Christians and toward the church, my goal is almost always when someone finds out that I'm a believer that they're somewhat surprised, <laughs> at least somewhat surprised, because as much as much as you know, people are so, um, they just have such a strong idea in their mind about what a church is going to be like or what Christians are going to be like. And yet so many people are so open to Jesus. Uh And so if you can kind of break the mold a little bit and say, well, it's because I've met Jesus and Mm -hmm. I would love to talk with you about him as well. Uh, That, that at times it it just, it, it, it brings things from a, from a different vantage point for folks where they're not focusing on, religion and how it hurts people, but, but actually able to be introduced to Jesus for the first time. There's a commercial on television right now that has recycled the old line. People don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Mm. It's a, I think it's a financial advisor commercial. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that line's been around a long time. I Mm -hmm. I heard it from John Maxwell uh, back in the eighties when I was a young pastor, but it, it, even though it's been around a long time, it's a great line. It's true. Yep. And uh, it continues to be true. People don't care how smart you are and or how religious you are or, or whatever you are. Yep. Until they realize, wow, he really cares. And then suddenly, because you care about me, you know, I, will, I may be open to hear what you have to say. And, and I think sometimes trying to figure out how you can express love can, can catch people up because they're like, well, how do I, how do mm. I communicate to this person that I really love them? Yeah. And that's where another quote <laughs> that I love, uh, ha- has really helped to me, which is that, uh, being known and being loved are so similar yes. that most people can't tell the difference. <laughs> and I, I heard a version of that in the last couple of days. That's a little bit different. So I don't know if I'm changing the original or what the it is. The concept is still true though. Asking those questions, exploring that person, knowing them. The mm-hmm. next time you come to that restaurant, that person's there, you can ask, hey, I remember you shared about this. How did that go? Yeah. Th- those sorts of moments where you're demonstrating, hey, I remember you. Mm-hmm. I know your name actually. And yeah. I, I remember this thing that was meaningful to you. And I want to, I want to ask you about that again. You know that person mm-hmm. and they receive that as care and love. And that 
is so uncommon. Well, let's go back uh, to something you said a couple minutes ago. You talked about how people whose job or life is all shallow conversations, they mm-hmm. never go any deeper. And then you kind of interrupt that and you see them. So just like being known, it feels like being loved. So being seen feels like love yes, yeah. because, you know, she, that, that person's just a machine at the door asking the same questions over. And all of a sudden you come through the, the drive through line and you're like engaging with them and you see them. That's actually very, very powerful, especially if you are in a home environment or relational environment or you're alone and nobody sees you. They either only use you or they ignore you. Hmm. And I, I I can see Jesus doing this in the Gospels. He sees people, like the woman at the well. Yes. Well, yeah. What is he doing? You know, in fact, his disciples make a comment about it. What are you doing? <laughs> Jesus sees her. Yeah. Nobody else does. He sees a leper. He sees a, a paralytic. And so that's that's oftentimes where love starts. Is love sees like nobody else sees. And then, um, and I think there are so many people today who are so isolated so alone that when a person like you or me sees them, it stands out, you know? And uh, so, yeah, that's even before being known. Yeah. And so then that, and that B that we're talking about within that is of course uh, talking about helping people to feel a sense of belonging. That's mm-hmm. kind of where we landed. And then the the fourth B um, is, and I don't want to steal your thunder to, to move into the next one, but no, the, no, good. The, the fourth B is that all, all of this is in the hopes that at some point the person asks you something along the lines of, man, I just noticing there's, there's something different about you, or there's, there's a way that you're engaging with me. That's, that's, that I don't experience all the time or like Ernie, yeah, yeah like Ernie, <laughs> or, or, um, I'm just really struggling because I don't know what to do next in life. And I'm just feeling like there's not a lot of hope here. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, uh, I've really, I know I've screwed up my life. I know I've, I've messed things up and I'm never, I'm just mourning that because there's not going to be another chance or I'm really struggling with the death of someone and, you know, that I was close to like all these life events where people are, wrestling with the reality of life, wrestling with the reality of death, wrestling with the reality of, um, you know, this new relationship that's, that's intriguing them that they're not sure what to do with. And then that gives you the opportunity to talk to them about what is so different or why, why aren't you so bothered when, you know, you got that diagnosis or whatever it would be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the hope is that, you can inter- introduce the person to Jesus and that they will come to believe. Yeah. And so I know we're, we're kind of running short on time here, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to end without asking you a couple questions about that believe mm-hmm. stage, mm-hmm. which are, how do you, how can you identify when a person is ready mm. to hear That's about Jesus question. or to, to surrender to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And then can you, can you give us just what you found helpful as, as you're leading someone to Christ mm-hmm. in that conversation? How can that, how can that go? Yeah. Um, well, th- we talked before about the Holy Spirit being the great evangelist. So, mm. you know, one of the things that I have learned over the years is to really dial in and be attentive intentionally about listening to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm, I'm kind of dialoguing with the Holy Spirit, you know, what's happening here? Are, you know, are they open? You know, I'm paying attention to their questions, paying attention to their answers, paying attention to their body language. And asking the Holy Spirit, you know, is there's room for to go deeper? 
And, you know, sometimes you know, they may actually just come out and say, well, what do I have to do? You know, <laughs> Acts 16, 35, <laughs> what must they do to be saved? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and sometimes a version of that comes out, you know, I want what you have, Clay. I want what you have, Jim. What, you know, how can I get it? Or, you know, what do I have to do? Or I, I just, I love the question of a guy, a friend of ours, Nick, we both know, who, when I was sharing with him, he, he looked at me with this, he's searching a hopeful eyes. Can I know Jesus like that? You know, just actually tears beginning, you know, can, can I know Jesus like that? Like, is that available to me? You mm-hmm. know, just, yes, you yeah. know, or the person I led to Christ a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about, you know, I, you know, I, I would like to, I would like to do that. Oh, okay. You know, so, so, you know, those kind. sometimes it's obvious like that, but other times you, you again, you use questions, just would, would, would you like to know more or uh, would you like to, to uh, surrender your life to Christ or would you like to know what it's like to, to believe in Jesus? Uh, would you like to know what it's like to have a relationship with God? You mm-hmm. know? And so I'm asking and I'm, and I'm taking the temperature. Nah, not really. Or yeah, but I have some questions first or, you know, whatever their response is, you, there's a lot of different questions you can ask to find out if they're ready. And I, I think I'm glad you asked that question because again, I think this is one of the ways of respecting them. I, I am, this is a relational thing. And so I'm building a relationship even in the moment. I don't want to just run over you. Are you interested? You know, do you, are you ready to believe? Are you ready to hear more and respect that versus just assumes, you know, I'm going to go to my next part of the presentation kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I say that at the, even though I'm about to say, I think you need to have a way of explaining the gospel in your head, uh, in the back of your mind, a, what we might yep. call a plan or a presentation. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get to this point and be unclear and stumbling. Well, you may stumble like I, I do, but I, I'm stumbling because uh, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I want to say it, but I, I know, you know what I want to say. I'm just not always smooth, you know? Yeah. And so, but you don't want to get to that point and think, realize, oh my gosh, I actually don't know how to explain who Jesus is. Oh my gosh, I actually don't know how to explain to someone how to become a Christian. That's the wrong time to find that out. So you <laughs> you want to have a plan, and ideally you want to know it so well that you can kind of get into it at any point in the conversation. You don't have to make it an artificial, you know, okay, point one, you know, you can... You can you can get into that presentation at any point in the conversation based upon how that conversation is going, right? Um, and so my favorite way, because I'm a visual person, and I I know we live in a visual society, and secondly, because uh, this not only is a visual thing, but as I draw it out on a napkin or a piece of paper, is what what I'm going to call the bridge illustration, which is not my name for it, it's what it's called. Um, not only does the visuality help people, but because I'm going to write it out on something, I can give that to them mm-hmm. and they can, if they're not ready to believe, or if they do believe and they're not sure what just happened, they can look back at that because you're giving them, you know, stuff, you know, but for some of them, it might be brand new information and it's just like a fire hose, you know, <laughs> there's so many things that he said or that she shared. I mean, I can't remember it all and having it written out is so helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's the part where he was explaining there's this chasm between me and God, you know. That's where he talked about the part of that, that when I sin, it's like it that brings death. I remember that. Right. And so 
we we must you know and my wife andrea is so famous for saying think you know from the viewpoint of the guest whenever you do this and i do this as a as a preacher i i think from the viewpoint of the person sitting and listening how are they listening and what are they experiencing and so i want to customize my preaching or my presenting or my conversation to how where they are and so you know, they don't know a lot of the gospel facts that I'm going to be presenting about conviction, about sin, about chasm, about God, about uh, God's design, about Jesus, about salvation, about confession, about repentance, about right. eternal life, right. gospel, grace. Well, just all these words, you know, <laughs> whew, it's overwhelming, but we traffic in it all the time and yeah. we can we can actually become so familiar with it that that we just bulldoze over people. Right. So you can look up online, uh, a build, a build, a bridge presentation. If you heard this, if you saw the sermon Sunday, we played a short two minute video that, that does a version of the bridge illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can access that from our website. You can access it from the QR code in the excursion, uh, uh, guide. Yep. Um, or you can type online the, the bridge illustration or type in Romans 623 bridge illustration. Yep. All those things will bring up versions. Yeah. The navigators have one the, online. The navigators really... are the ones that I think invented it. Okay. Uh, one of the guys on their team. And it's just a simple, it basically what it is, is a graphical illustration of Romans 623 for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm-hmm. And so they, they graphically depict that. And as you walk through the verse, I, and I love that. What it is, is it's ex- exposition. Yep. It is a beautiful illustration of expositioning, ex- expositing scripture. Mm-hmm. You're explaining it, you're illustrating it, and it, it has, it, it explains every word in Romans 6, <laughs> yeah. 23. It's, it's one of the best examples of biblical exposition that there is. Right. And, uh, because every word in that verse is significant mm-hmm. and that illustration kept, captures it and pictures it. Yeah. So yeah. it, it's my favorite way. Uh, there's lots of other ways. Um, there's the four circles, you know, there's the four spiritual laws. There's the Romans road. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are some ones that you like? Yeah. The, the, the ones that you've named are ones that I've experienced before there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I took a class where I had to memorize several different ones. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, emphasizes your own story. So you share, you know, you start with my life, what, what my life was like, mm-hmm. and then how I met Jesus, mm-hmm. who Jesus is to me and the difference that it's made. So you kind of walk Good. through those elements. Yep. Another one is you talk about, which this may be one of the ones that you've already mentioned, but you talk about the the story of, of the world. And so mm-hmm. you start with creation. That's so a you talk about, one, yeah. yeah. So God's intention for the world, mm-hmm. how sin broke that intention, but how Jesus, uh, you know, makes provision for the curse of sin and death. And then how through faith in him and, rep- and repentance, you can receive um, new life in Jesus. Which, which is a more contemporary and graphical uh, takeoff of the evangelism explosion method, mm-hmm. which is the one that Chick in my sermon taught me. Oh yeah. He taught me the evangelism explosion plan. Hmm. And, uh, and I, he, I, you know, I used that for years until I ran into the navigator's bridge illustration, which I, for all the reasons I've explained, I liked a yeah, lot better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's so many different ways of explaining it, but 
the, the bottom line is you need to share the basics. Oh, oh by the way, there's also a, an app called Share Your Faith that mm. I've talked about before. Uh, and I have it on my phone. Um, and it uses the bridge illustration, but it also has some other questions. Anybody who's interested, it's Share Your Faith. Um, where's my phone? I don't have my phone. That's odd. Um, shareyourfaith.com or Share Your Faith mm-hmm. app. Yeah. And, um, and you can, as on your phone, you can actually walk somebody through the 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 questions and the and the um the scriptures and the bridge illustration yeah it's a it's it's a cool little app but you know basic line is you you you've got to come up with a way of explaining um why that they there's a need mm-hmm. you know and however yes. you want to do that there's there's got to be a, a a problem before a solution makes any sense and at some point we've got to talk about God's design. We got to talk about how sin ruined God's design. Yeah. yeah. At some point, we need to talk about who Jesus is and how He answers that question. Yeah. And we got to explain, you know, what is the the cross? What was that all about? And that's why I love the bridge illustration because it explains all those: the gap, the chasm, God's design, sin ruining the cross, bridging, yeah, eternal <laughs> life. So, um, uh, and then you, of course, you've got to get the, get to the, the 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 crux of the whole thing is how should I respond? You know, yep. And so you need to repent of your sins. You need to invite Christ uh, into your life, surrender your life to Christ, believe. And those, those components are absolutely essential. Otherwise it's like, well, what do I do mm-hmm. with all this you gave to me? Yeah. And, and I, I, I can get a little sticky here. I don't like the language, invite Jesus into your heart. It's a very common Americanized version of the gospel because I don't see anybody in the Bible inviting Jesus into their heart. And I don't see anybody telling somebody, well, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. I can see where they got that from. Um, But, you know, the things that I see in Scripture are confessing your sin, surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord, and repentance. Those those are the things that that you do. And I, I I really love the word surrender, because that's part of what was meant in the New Testament by believe. It's not just a mental assent. I'm, I'm giving up. I'm to believe this. I'm engaging and mm. I'm, and I'm surrendering my leadership, my sovereignness over my life. And I'm believing yeah. something else. And so that doesn't always get depicted well in English. Yeah, I'm, I'm transferring my allegiance oh, from myself that's, that's to That's good language. Jesus. That's very good language. That's it. Yeah, and in scholarship, some people have argued that we should translate pistis, which is faith, mm-hmm. as allegiance yes. because of its yes, that's a really good word. semantic ranges. But yeah, well, it's a surprise to no one that we could talk about evangelism <laughs> for well over an hour. <laughs> Ten <laughs> but, hours. <laughs> I, I mean, there's so there's still so many questions to ask, like, and we don't have time to get into what should I do if I don't know anyone who's a non-believer. You know, what what do I do if I find myself in a Christian bubble? What what should I do if I've tried to present the gospel to someone and it didn't go well? Mm-hmm. There, there's so much to explore here, but uh, and so if you have more questions and you you want to learn more about evangelism or have some training about evangelism. 
reach out to us. <laughs> we, we are here for you and we would love to talk with Absolutely. you about it. I will buy you coffee. Jim will buy you hot water or milkshake uh, or milkshake. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. But, uh, you know, we, we would love for this to be the beginning to a conversation and not the end of one, but we do need to wrap up this episode of the cutting room floor. And I want to do it by drawing not one, but two names oh, for our sweatshirt giveaway. So just to remind you guys, if you made it this far, we're still giving away. We've got some more of these What's Your Next Step hoodies uh, in gray and in white. And so this week we're going to draw two names, and we've just got a couple weeks left of this giveaway. And so... Uh, it just happens to be a cup there with names. I know. It's, it just appears there every week. So I don't know whose names are in here. but It's, it's been there for 20 years. <laughs> Um, and I, I did, I did something a little bit crazy, which is for those of, for those who, uh, have texted the text words the last couple weeks, I left their names in oh. if they weren't chosen. So you're, some people have two names in the cup. Oh, you're increasing uh, the odds. Yes. So just cause you didn't win, don't think that you shouldn't text in the word cause you'll get more chances. So okay. go ahead and pull I a think you've got those there. stirred up as possible, as much as possible. Let's see, this one would be um, Bryant Holmes. Bryant hey, Holmes. Bryant, all right. Congratulations, Bryant. We I just, will be he, in contact with Brian you. Bryant just got baptized. He did. Yeah. In couple, Lake Erie. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then this one is Tanya Durrell. I just talked to Tanya this Sunday. Oh, man. She loves the cutting room floor. <laughs> So congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, you guys. Uh, I will be reaching out to you guys to talk about what color hoodie you want and uh, find a way to get it to y'all. If you did not win the hoodie yet, but you would like to, you can go ahead and text the word evangelism to our church phone number. That will be our text word for this next week. And uh, the number again is 440-323-4644. Just text in the word evangelism and you'll have to fill in your email and and, and a couple, a little bit. Uh, information just so that I can reach out to you. And uh, you could be the proud owner of a What's Your Next Step sweatshirt. I've had lots of coworkers ask me, what can I do to get... Saved? Well, no, not that. <laughs> no, no, not that. People you work at, at church, yeah, yeah. on staff. No, they've asked me, what what can I do to get a hoodie? And I tell them, listen to the cutting room floor. There you so go. you guys are the insiders now, and you uh, you could be the proud owners. So, um, well, we, we've had a, a really wonderful conversation here. I hope, hope that your uh, interest is piqued about evangelism and about how we can love people by introducing them to Jesus. Again, please reach out to us if you have other questions or reach out to your campus pastor. Our campus pastors have such a heart for the people in our communities, Mm -hmm. for the people in your life who don't know Jesus. And they would be more than happy to sit down and chat with you about strategies to share the gospel, ways that you can begin to get to know non-believers in in your life, all these sorts of things. And let's, let's end with this. May everyone who's listening to this find and take their next step and an intentional evangelism. Yes. Yeah. Lord knows we need it yes. uh, because this is Amen. an area that's often neglected or often pushed off to the end. But um, mm-hmm. we, we need to share about Jesus to the world. Yeah. So until next time, we will go ahead and sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. 
And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast at opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.